where now I felt, I'm, I'm be honest, I, even though I was better for sure at, at an open wheel car in Formula One, I had more, I felt more comfortable in the NASCAR way because it's much more grassroots, just the core type racer that just wants to get out there every weekend and, and run laps. It was just in the form of running in circles. Hey everybody, I am your host, I am Ted King, and welcome to another edition of King of the Ride podcast. Scott Speed, professional car racer, professional car racer across a whole host of disciplines is our guest on today's show. I need to preface that my, my car racing knowledge is meager at best, but truth be told, I think my lack of experience on the topic, just how naive I am about car racing, makes for a much more enjoyable conversation. Look, I can talk to cyclists, tell them blue in the face about the benefits of pumping 32C tires up to, you know, just exactly 58 PSI and how nice it is to go for a rip on some loamy, sweet mixed terrain. But I have even more fun engaging with folks who don't know what 32C tires are in the first place. So in order to do my homework leading into this conversation with Scott, I reached out to a couple friends far more knowledgeable than I on the topic of autosports. And just by mentioning his name, they were floored. They were excited for this conversation. The first word out of their mouths every time was talent. Scott Speed is an incredibly talented car racer. I've clearly gathered that punching your foot to the floor is not what makes a champion race car driver. It's a, it's a lifetime sport, just like cycling. He's been a student of four-wheel racing his entire life. Having made the leap across a handful, four different racing disciplines at least, Scott Speed is like the Peter Sagan, the, the Stebar, the Welt Van Art, prodigally jumping sport to sport to sport within the sport of car racing, just as those guys have done within the sport of cycling. Now, it was a slightly abridged conversation. He and two friends were making their way across a bike and car travel tour of New England. They had four hours driving that evening after we had already ridden and then sat down to speak. So as someone myself who tries to live without regrets, tries to live every day to the maximum without, without making mistakes that I look back on regretfully, the only thing that I look back on with our time together with Scott is that I wish we had delved more into cult car racing movie trivia, Days of Thunder, Cole Trickle, man, more Talladega Nights quotes. I just, I, I look forward to conversation number two. There is a sizable and growing number of race car drivers who are spending a lot of time on two wheels. There's a small peloton of these guys at the track leading into race weekends. And then you have somebody like Scott, who is not only exceptional on the car racing side, but he's, he's admittedly new to the sport of cycling and he's taken to it like duck to water. We had a blast on our 90 minute spin. This, this conversation is one that I think I know that you are going to enjoy. Now let's take a step back and look what's going on in the world of bike racing. The Bulls Dolmans team, they just took their third consecutive team time trial win at Vargarda in Sweden. 52 minutes and change. They're out there. They took down the reigning team time trial world champions, Sunweb. And that's a hard fought and very narrow margin of victory. Congrats goes out to them. And of course, never too early to be thinking about the world championships. Kiyakowski, he's putting his arm firmly in the air as someone who's who's looking to take a title once again. He wrapped up his win in his home race tour of Poland just a day or two ago. Now, they pushed that, that race back a week or so because it used to be of who's who, of who's not wrapping up the Tour de France as it took place in late July, early August. But now it's an incredibly reputable race on its own. Keep your eyes peeled for Sam Omen. O-O-M-A-N, 22-year-old kid coming out of Sunweb. He had an awesome end to that race. He's he's flying under the radar now, but trust me, he's one to watch the, for the future. Another couple of kids, Sepp Kuss and Nielsen Palace, making 
huge waves at Tour of Utah. Now, be forewarned, this podcast is being produced Saturday afternoon. This is the day of, the guys are actually out racing as we speak, the Queen Stage Saturday, going up to Snowbird. Tomorrow's another incredible, incredibly difficult day going all around Park City. I had mentioned early on a week ago that Nielsen was a potential dark horse for the win, and he, he might just have it. Except he's got his teammate in the way. Those This incredibly young team coming out of Lotto, those guys are absolutely hitting it. Sepp is now my pick going into these final two stages. I mean, he went over Nebo like it was like it was easy. So, oh man, it's going to be an awesome end of the race. It's very exciting as an American, as a fan of this sport, as an American fan of the sport, to see this, this young horde of American talent coming through the ranks. Congrats goes out to those guys. Guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Back here in the homeland... I'm going into Vermont 3's final stage tomorrow, this event, the VT3. It's an awesome three-day action-packed trio of mountain bike races here in northern Vermont. We are in the Northeast Kingdom, more aptly known, the NEK. It's a well-known but still safely remote area of New England, far enough away from airports and, and modern accoutrements like Whole Foods. That's probably 150 miles away is the nearest. That keeps folks at bay. As the expression goes around here, you can't get there from here. It's a cobweb of gravel roads, beautiful gravel roads all across northern Vermont. In particular, we are here at Craftsbury Outdoor Center. It's a 40-some-odd-year-old 40, 40 facility where the number of Olympians, especially rowers, Nordic skiers, and biathletes who have come through here, there were, there were four Olympians this year alone, so the number who have gone through in the past 40 years, it's, it's incredible. It's basically... The most rustic, down-home, familial, unofficial Olympic training center that exists on the planet Earth. So we're here this week. We're a whole bunch of mountain bikers. You see some, see some rowers and runners going around. Also, it basically feels like adult endurance summer sports camp. It's pretty freaking cool. One final note. Please, please, please leave your reviews. If you're up for it, tell your friends, tell your family, tell them about King of the Ride podcast. Your reviews on iTunes or wherever it is you're listening are more helpful than you could even imagine. Let me know what you think. Shoot me questions, comments, anything that's on your mind. All things I am Ted King on social media. That will do for now, folks. Next up, my conversation with Scott Speed. How the levels? Levels look outstanding. So not only the on-air talent, the producer, director, like I'm the sound guy. <laughs> I'm not the video guy. I got a video gal. <laughs> One of my favorite podcasts I ever did as a guest. I didn't. Pardon me. I got a little giddy there. <laughs> I didn't realize we were recording until we were about 15 minutes into the recording. Great. That really. It really lets you speak freely when you don't even think, you know, you're not, you're not on air. Anyway, um, one of the things that I, I like about our podcast here is the world is our oyster. So rather than being in a sound studio with a you know, very controlled environment, we're currently in a very highly trafficked tourist area. Wow. We got the Atlantic Ocean about eight feet away. We're literally on a dock, so acoustics are going to be off the hook. Yeah, a lot of bogeys in the area. A lot of bogeys. in the industry. Yeah, a whole lot of bogeys. We gotta, we gotta boot them out. But on top of that, that also means we just got to ride a bike around here. What, twenty miles of seacoast Maine at its finest. Did you enjoy the bike riding? That yeah, was great. It was great not to have to stop and take pictures. 
our videos. We just got to go out there and ride. It's a lot of fun. I, I completely agree. Um, okay. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Scott Speed. Now, hold for the applause. Hold for the applause. You'd think that the bogeys would have thrown in a, <laughs> a cheers there. Now, Scott Speed, introduction. Jonathan Quick is a hockey goalie. Marco Velo is a cyclist, professional cyclist. Scott Speed is a car racer. Were you destined to fulfill a dream with a name like Scott Speed? Man, I tell you. And how many times have you been asked that? Uh, lots. Um, I think it's one of those things that was uh, just lucky. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid in school running track, wasn't so fast. So it wasn't all ha ha he he at the beginning. Yeah. But then later got into like a go-kart for the first time. I was like, ooh, I can do this pretty good. And then I started racing cars. And I was like, oh, ha, ha, who's laughing now? I so, can do this real good. Yeah. So it ended up working out great. Nice. Well, all's well that all ends well. So... We, we spent a lot of time talking today on the bike um, about the parallels between bike racing and, and car racing. You happen to know one of those. I happen to know the other. Um, like how the heck you get into it from sponsorship aspect. So starting at the very beginning, how the heck, like you just alluded to, how do you get into car racing? Uh, it's hard. You know, it's super hard. The car racing is expensive. You know, it's, it's not as easy as, it's even more expensive than just a bike. So, uh, you know, unlike a sport like soccer, where you just need a, a ball and some cleats, maybe, you know, you need a race car, you need an engine, you know, you need all these things that are expensive. So, you know, you start out racing go-karts, which is still inherently expensive. I was very fortunate that my dad was a, a national champion go-kart racer. So when I got my start, which we'll circle back to later, because it ties into the cycling community, yes, please. Uh, you know, I kind of already had some good, not only some good advice from my dad, but I also kind of had a, a way in, in, in the industry. And after a year of karting, I won my first national championship. So, you know, after that point, you know, I was sort of, you know, highly sponsored with karting, the carts, the tires, the fuels, the engines. So I was able to enter in the sport like that. Otherwise, you know, you basically have to rely on having, you know, the the ability to fund a lot of that stuff. And then from karting into, into race cars, then you basically add a comma. Huh. And and you have to keep going a little bit. And then if you can keep going a little bit more down that road and you're still good, then you can make it into either, you know, NASCAR or open wheel stuff or IndyCar or what have you. All of which you are you've done jack of all trades. So my understanding, five time national karting champion. And how old are you when you start doing that? Uh, 11 years old when I started racing go-karts and I raced karting all the way up until I was 19 basically. Uh -huh. And I had won enough at the end at the highest level in karting in this country to get some free rides in some race cars. And it just so happened that those went really well. And I grew up in racing in a time where there was companies out there and some manufacturers out there that would develop drivers. You know, I was part of a, a Red Bull driver search and they basically picked 16 of the best Americans out there and they lined us up and said, we want to take a couple of you and try to make a Formula One team. Holy cow. It was, it was a big dream. It was this tall fetch. I was going to junior college at the time and thought, well, I'll, I'll jump. I got a nice invite. Sweet. Thanks. Uh, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, the rest is history. We were able to somehow turn that into uh, a career in professional motorsports, I guess. That is nutty. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. In 2005, you were the first American to race Formula One since 1993. Mm, Michael, Andretti. Michael Andretti. Yep, yep. That's a huge spectrum, a uh, huge span of time. Um, 
and we talked about the different sports. Also, okay, you also raced NASCAR. You were a three-time rallycross national champion, three-time X Game gold medalist. Yeah, that's weird, right? That's basically the cool thing. Wild. And you know, the crazy thing is, in my house, I didn't carry any of the championships, any of the trophies from Europe in racing, any nothing from NASCAR. The only thing I have in my house racing related is my X Games gold medals because they're oh, like just the most random, coolest achievement. You know, you know, they don't mean the same as racing Formula One, but it's like when you're a kid, you know, I grew up watching Dave Mira and Bucky Lassick and Tony Hawk at the X Games, right? Yeah. And like, I got one now. It's like <laughs> I got three actually. So those are like they got a special place in my heart. That is super. Super cool. So my, as I prefaced a bit earlier, my knowledge of motorsports can basically fit into a thimble. Yeah, but then about I was, like my knowledge of cycling. Perfect. We are <laughs> we're two peas in a pod. I was making this comparison in my head. You got, you got NASCAR, which is kind of like racing a crit. It's like going around in a circle a whole bunch of times, same lap, lap it up for lap, it up for mm-hmm. lap. Pretty spectator friendly. Yeah. But basically, if you're there as a spectator, you're also equally entertained by looking at the crashes. Absolutely. Formula One, that's like straight up road racing. It's really interesting. It's dynamic. It's it's uh, circuitous, sinuous courses. Uh, there's tactics a little bit more. And then you got rallycross, which is a lot like cyclocross in that you're mixing it up. It's dirty. It's uh, it's super action-packed. It's, it's a pretty – it's a stretch, but yeah, absolutely. That is how you could probably quantify those three. Oh, brilliant. I felt very smart about that. Yeah, okay, now, now you explore those. Like – Tell me about, I don't know, I mean, as you're jumping between the sports, you see it You see it in cycling as well. The athletes who are few and far between who make the leap between a road racing career to a mountain bike career to a cyclocross career to a uh, criterium career. Correct me if I'm wrong, there are not a lot of Scott Speeds who are doing exactly what you've done to jump from. Well, I think there's only two that have done F1 and NASCAR, me and Montoya. Maybe I'm wrong. That's nuts. But so basically... The easiest way I to explain it is, you know, Formula One car is like a seven, is like a F fourteen Tomcat. It's a fighter jet. Okay, lots of technology, lots of G force. You know, very precision. Uh, a NASCAR is like a seven forty seven that is, you know, it's got a pretty good high top speed, but it doesn't accelerate very fast, doesn't turn very fast, it's very heavy. Yeah. Uh, but the difference is, is the cars can, because of, because of the way they're built, you can kind of touch them a little bit more, they can take a bit more abuse, and they run really, really close to each other because there's no downforce. <laughs> so the racing is actually, for me, I actually have more fun racing in, on circles in NASCAR, but the, the, they're so much different to drive, and no question by, by heart and what my skill is, is I'm, a, I'm an open-wheel guy. I'm an F1, like that is what I'm the best at. I got the opportunity to come back to America and try my hand at NASCAR. I spent six years doing that, but that's not what I was born to do. That's not what my, you know, top skill set is. And then rallycross is just, it's such a new type of sport that because of my big career in, you know, F1 and NASCAR, because of what I accumulated, I was able to kind of pick up rallycross quicker than most because it's kind of new for everybody here in this country. Huh. That's wild. And you alluded to spending some time in the Red Bull laboratory. I mean, where they, they're looking at your physiology and they're looking at it from a, I mean, your strengths, your weaknesses, where can you excel as a human to maximize that? And it sounds like, you know, open car racing or open wheel racing. It's, it's much more dynamic. You need to have strength. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, was that a stretch? Yeah, it, it's it's more. You have to be more physically fit for sure to do a Formula One race than a NASCAR race. But the bigger difference was I've seen Talladega nights, and and honestly, like I, 
it's I, I always found like that <laughs> having done it like okay it's sarcastic but it's pretty clever. I mean it's it's a pretty yeah. it's pretty close in a lot of ways sure. like I like it's funny but it's it's kind of the same ish. But the biggest difference is like Formula One is that budget's three hundred to five hundred million dollars per. You know what I mean? Like it's it's on a different planet. So what they were doing for their athletes, how they were training it, it's just a the it's the tip of the spear mm -hmm. of every way, right? It's the smartest people in the world, not just in motor racing, that are doing it because it's the you know it's that competitive. There's that much, uh, it's that big of a sport, right? Where now I felt, I'm, I'm be honest, I, even though I was better for sure at, at an open wheel car in Formula One, I had more, I felt more comfortable in the NASCAR way because it's much more grassroots, just the core type racer that just wants to get out there every weekend and and run laps. It was just in the form of running in circles, basically. So it is because of the, because of that, you know, you you learn um, from from the physical side. There's a boat. Yeah, rolling out in reverse. That means don't hit us. We're backing up and we yeah. are a big boat. So so when I was over there in Europe doing all that, you know, it was 20 hours a week in the lab, getting my lactate tested five times a day, pricking my finger every morning to test hematic crit and hemoglobin levels. Like, yeah. you know, it was at that level. That's what it was. And I want to go in two directions there. One, first, the sponsorship. Like you said, you know, if you're going to invest that kind of money, which is like $300, $500 million, like you're not looking for a return. That well, is, it's, just, it's a world, it's a world company, right? So yeah. the, the brands that advertise in Formula, I mean, that's a world sport. There's very few of them, right? So it's big money. There's big companies. It's, it's a lot more difficult than getting a company to sponsor something that's domestic in America. Like if you want to get a company like Napa or Oberto or Rockstar, like all our sponsors, like they're, they're benefit highly from something that's visible in the States. But if that same thing is visible in France or in China, that doesn't really help them. There's a lot less companies in the world that care about, you know, advertising to the world, let's say. Sure. Oh, that's bonkers and a terrific point. Uh, yeah, there are very there are very few world sports. Um, I mean, I think coming from the American audience we were talking earlier, you win the Super Bowl. That's fantastic. <laughs> but you're world champion of a sport here in America that we yeah. invented. Like, yeah. yeah, we bring it to London. We bring it to other countries. But... We're marveling at our sport that we created where, yeah, by and large, there are not a lot of world sports. Yeah. Um, the other part, I had asked earlier, I mean, we went for a bike ride. You you absolutely know what you're doing on the bike, which yeah, is no, impressive. No, no, I'm, I'm so early. Oh, my gosh. Don't say that. I'm so early. I'm such a novice. I, uh, I'm fortunate enough that... I have, you know, some really good friends that I've that I've made in the cycling industry that have helped me learn a lot. I am very eager to learn, so I'm, you know, I'm I'm like a sponge right now. I, I'm, you know, I relish in the opportunity to meet guys like yourself that, you know, have done it and lived it, and uh, it's it's great to have the opportunity to be able to soak up all that information. That's entirely too kind. So, okay, you whipped out a sprint today, <laughs> just just dabbling at 1,300 watts. Why not? <laughs> Sebastian Weber, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vittel. Did I get those names right? Mark Weber, Sebastian Vittel. That's what I Fernando said. Pardon Alonso. me. It is all good. <laughs> you guys are in a uh, bike race. Yeah. This question comes in from Tim Johnson. Who's going to okay. win the bike race? I have no idea. I've never cycled with either one of those guys. Uh, we have a oh, man. From the audience, Weber. Weber for the win. Um, have you raced up turn one at Circuit of the Americas? On a bike. On a bike. On nothing. No, I filmed there a lot. <laughs> you gotta you gotta spend some time. Another another boat backing up. It must be four thirty. Um 
I've spent time at Circuit of the Americas with SRAM at South by Southwest. They do this really cool series called Open the Road where they allow people to try out new equipment, new wheel sets, new ETAP, new uh, hydraulic disc brakes. And then we had the luxury of riding on bikes around Circuit of the Americas, which is a super cool program that Brian Crakem, who's... Uh, Brian, I apologize for not knowing the exact job title, but he's he's opened up Coda to the masses. So whether you're on a bike for the first time, whether you're testing a bike out for the first time, whether you want to go do your lead out train practice on Wednesday night, they're out there, which is incredible. And it also means that there are some pretty fast Strava times. I highly recommend giving it a go up that do, first. Have you, have you done it? You got a oh, Strava lap out there? I've done a Strava lap. I went a lot faster up the ladder, uh, ladder than I expected because there also have been formal bike races out there with formidable teams and pros. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this on a, as I'm dodging a bunch of people up for their Wednesday night cruise. Anyway, highly recommend okay. it. Give that a whirl. So, okay, this was a very long-winded introduction to the question that, you know, you spend time in that lab and they're pricking and prodding you and figuring out what you are physiologically capable of. But in your mind, you only started riding a year ago. Yeah, I did. I definitely just started riding. So what what we did a lot of over there for training was training real low intensity stuff because the idea behind it is when you're racing a car, you want to be burning 100% fat if you can because you need the carbohydrates to think. Uh-huh. So we basically did hours and hours and it was just zone one like nobody's business basically. And, you know, when I drive a race car to this day, and I don't know if it's because of an effect of that, I have a super low heart rate. I'm not stressed. I'm definitely not burning sugars. You know what I mean? It's it's a, a product of basically all that training. So I didn't really have too much problem because what I had, what I discovered I had as a, as a problem was I have ulcerative colitis. And so that type of training didn't really affect my colitis too much. And I was able to kind of manage it. You know, if I ate pretty reasonable, didn't have too much dairy, wasn't a problem. But when I came back to America after training 20 hours a week for like six years, when I started doing NASCAR, I like basically stopped training. I didn't need to train to race a NASCAR race. It wasn't near as physically demanding. If you could deal with the temperature, it wasn't really a problem. So, uh, after a few years of that, I, some friends wanted to start doing triathlons. I'm like, all right, cool. I had had, I knew a little bit about training. I mean, I had my lactate tested freaking five times a day. I kind of get some of the bases covered. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I'm going to start training for this triathlon. I started training kind of harder and harder. And my colitis kind of came back. I'm like, man, this sucks. So I did a triathlon, but like my class had come back. So I stopped training, stopped it all. Class went away again. And I started, I did the same thing maybe two years later and the same thing happened. So at this point, I'm like, okay, if I start training hard, my class comes back. That's the issue. And true story, I'm on the phone with Tim Johnson, actually talking about my stepson, Rex, who's trying to race cross country. He's trying to get a scholarship for college. He's a senior this year. And I wanted to pick his brain. He's one of the best athletes I know. And I was talking about something and I, somehow he started talking about what I was eating. He's like, well, are you training and eating all that too? And yeah. I was like, yeah, is that bad? I mean, is it not a kale spinach smoothie with fresh fruit mixed in there? Is that like not good to have right after a hard workout? And he's like, no, like that's got a lot of fiber. And you see his fibers are really hard for your body. So if you're going to tax your body. Can you? I'm like, what? So you think this could like maybe deal with the colitis thing? He's like, yeah, bro. You need me like white rice, like simple stuff for your body to break down. I was like, Ah, may all right. So I'm now like nine months into training, basically as hard as I physically can. I have no colitis. I have no problems. All thanks to our our man Tim Johnson. <laughs> Good work, Timmy J. He is the uh, he's the Kevin Bacon of this show. Yeah, seems to be one degree of separation to Tim Johnson. Um, 
He oh. knows everybody. He's that guy. I'm not that guy. I know like 10 people. Yeah. But you can tell Timmy knows everybody. He's he that guy that just floats around. He's definitely around a people's and, person. And yeah. then how how do you balance the rigors of, you know, training for a triathlon with auto racing? I mean, how much how much are you training at well, the track I'm, in a gym? How does that all know, work out? For me, it's, it's just the time of like for, for like what I do now with Rallycross, if I have a race weekend coming up, I have to go to Indianapolis and see the team like on a Tuesday. We have to do a shakedown on a Wednesday. Then I fly home for a day and then I fly and do the race. So I typically just schedule those as sort of recovery weeks. And, but really they kind of work together. It's not, it's obviously a little bit difficult to bring a bike on the road with you, but it's, you know, because my races that I do now in Rallycross are so short, there's like zero physical, like it's not really demanding. I actually put a heart rate monitor on in the car the other day and did like a nine lap stint and the max heart rate was 113. You know what I mean? Now, okay, now most, did you to, sneeze? Be, to be fair, like most, most guys, you know, when they get in the race car, they're super intense and they yeah. get pumped up and all that. I'm like the opposite. I'm like the calm, calculated kind huh. of guy. So, like you were alluding to because, because it's such a collection of what you have been doing. Like you are accustomed to being in the car and not being stressed out. Yeah. And I think my story, as you know, as they have like, phenotypes for bike riders i think there's a little bit of that in race car drivers too where some guys are super intense and super focused and very like your sebastian fettles and your michael schumacher and you got guys like your mika hockenens and your kimi raggedens are just like super laid back like go with the flow not and you know that's what they need to to do really well that's the type of personality they are and i think i'm more like that i'm more like a laid back sort of uh style of racing i, like I guess it. good comparison makes total sense um Again, knowing very little about car racing, explain to me Rallycross. When you say it's a short race, how long is a race? Okay, Rallycross, uh, the races we do now are five, the, the heat races are five laps long. The semifinal and the main event, I believe, are eight to ten laps, but it's it's effectively five to ten minutes. And the, the races go very quickly. So we start five wide, they hit the green light, our race is going off, and as we're pulling off the track, the next heat's coming up right behind us, and then they're shooting. And because of that, wow. because they're four-wheel drive rallycross cars, you know, the technology in them is quite amazing. They do zero to 60 in under two seconds. They <laughs> they do That's jumps. It is, it's, it's, the fa it's actually <laughs> the fastest I've ever accelerated. It's faster than an F1 car because yeah. of the weight and the fact that you're pulling it with the four tires, right? And you're in Volkswagen. What car are you in? I'm in a Volkswagen Beetle. They're sponsored by Alberto and Rockstar, Circle K. And, uh, we, uh, our car's got roughly 600 horsepower. It's pretty light. Good gravy. The suspension and the, all the stuff underneath it is all sort of very custom. Uh, what so kind of jumps you doing? The jumps are, you know, there's very random I'm trying how to put it in. Maybe it's a hundred, 300 meter, 200 meter gap, hundred meter. It's not, not a gap. Sorry. But I mean, we're in the air for hundred, yeah. hundred to 300 meters. Are you landing on a slope landing? Sometimes you're landing on a slope. Sometimes you're landing on a flat. It really depends on the type of track you're going Now we're to. like delving into mountain biking. Is it like, yeah. what's the travel on your suspension? Uh, Is it no an abrupt idea. crash or uh, landing? No, it's, 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 it's pretty good. Pretty cush. The, the suspension's pretty on point. Man. So once you get through the heats, the qualifying heats, how long is an actual yeah, formal race? The, the semifinal is maybe the same. It's almost the same. The semifinal is only a couple more laps, and the final is also the same. It's maybe nine laps. It's done in uh, done in probably ten minutes. Man, oh man! And that's very catered. You know, it's kind of like cyclocross. Right? It's very catered to the new generation of you know media. It needs to be short. It needs to be sweet. It needs to be exciting. It needs to have all that stuff. Yeah. So what's the most exciting parts of the race? The beginning, the end, and if there was a crash. Sure. So, or anytime somebody's in the air. Yes. So basically, we have that in spades. Yeah. That's freaking outstanding. And you said, yeah, 
I mean, admit the truth. NASCAR is a sport that's slowing down. Admit well, it. it's just it's a different it's a it's a different deal, right? It's, yeah, it's hard to it's four hours is a long time. Sure, yeah. and I feel like I mean, again, knowing very little, I feel like they are trying. The governing body is trying to throw in intermediate races, so so that you know, just try to keep it fresh. I mean, yeah, they're they're sitting on sort of a stagnant sport, whereas boom, boom, boom. I mean, I think professional bike racing is looking the same thing. Look at the Tour de France this year, stage yeah, they just seventeen had it. or eighteen, yeah. where they do the the what motocross style start with Garrett Thomas in the yellow jersey starting. I mean, it's kind of cool uh, in the aerial view and how it looks from the start. And that stage is absolutely bonkers to do what they did. I mean, basically three hill climb time trials back to back to back. But it's cool. I mean, professional bike racing it can be a very stagnant sport, and they got to figure out ways to keep it fresh and new and exciting. Yeah, for the kids. Keep it cool, man. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm a huge fan of beef jerky. Tell me about Alberto. Alberto. Well, uh, it's a great sponsor to have when you want to be, you know, healthy and train on the bike. Great post ride for sure. Uh, You've had a great relationship with Alberto and Circle K, where it's a very convenient place to get your Alberto. Well, one of my favorite parts of beef jerky is it's a great road trip food. Yes, it is. Just swing on down. And we've been luckily that we've... I know someone somewhere, and I've been able to snag some of that on the on uh, the cheap. It's been great. All kinds of flavors. We get all the new brilliant. stuff. That was uh, yeah. a subtle plug. This was unintentional. Yeah. I mean, I I literally <laughs> love beef jerky. Um, no, that's good. You guys are in amidst. So you're traveling with a good buddy of mine from the good old days, Troy, and you my guys neighbor. are on a my neighbor. Yeah, my Dude. former neighbor, your current neighbor. Um, you guys are on a trans East coast auto and bike trip. Yes. Give me the deets. Yes, the deets. So Troy and I are on this bike ride maybe three weeks ago. He's like, man, we should do a cycling trip. I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's, I've never been, I've heard, I've actually never been on a road trip or any gone anywhere that was outside of something I had to do for racing. And this year the schedule has been pretty laid back. I've had lots of weeks free and so we're like, man, we should, this is like a Volkswagen commercial. You know that we live like we were going to eat beef jerky. We're going to go drive up the coast. We're going to drive, we're going to ride our bikes. We're going to, we were going to camp originally. Like this is the Volkswagen commercial, right? Yeah. So I told my guys, uh, my contact at VW, I was like, Hey, we're going to do this. Like you guys should come film this. And they like kicked it around. And next thing you know, I, I literally thought we we're just going to film it with our phones and like, we're going to get you some cool footage of this. Yeah. Next thing I know, I get a call. Hey, we've gotten budget for this. We're going to send a crew down oh, uh, and this is going to be your rough schedule. What you're going to do. I was like, I called Troy. I'm like, hey, Troy, uh, we got the green light from from VW. <laughs> we're actually going to do this now. <laughs> like for real, for real. It's so real. we've gotten we've gotten such good footage. You know, they've got, um, you know, when they got professionals doing it. We got the sick the sickest drone shots of us drive riding our bikes and taking this car in cool places. So you got DC, you spent some time in Western Mass, weather wasn't super convenient. You tried to get up to uh untapped world headquarters. I know. I was so bummed that we didn't, didn't weather was that. not helpful at but all. But I did get to try some of that un- untapped on the ride. Yeah. Got some you got of the that rocket ginger. Fuel. Ginger maple aid. Which uh you're like, hey put this in there. Try this out. Mm-hmm. It's got ginger. Have you had ginger before? Nope. Okay, so it's, it's pretty powerful. Okay, I'm you've been, in. You've been warned. Took one, took one sip of that and was woo. He <laughs> <laughs> literally went back in the pack to the front. <laughs> you were ready to go. That was awesome. Um, it was quite amazing. Yes, needless to say, I like the simplicity of the ingredients. You Three know, ingredients. I like keeping it simple, like maple, salt, ginger. 
now, all good things. To to now you have a good answer when somebody says, "Hey, have you ever had ginger before? Do you like ginger?" He'd yes. be like, "Oh I'm man, gonna, that dude, time, I got, dude, I got you so dialed." Um. All right. The name Megan Guarnier came up earlier today. Yes, Megan. What's the deets? I, the I went to school with Megan. I got the funniest story. So, uh, before I kind of. Uh, did uh got really into the biking again a couple years ago volkswagen sponsored usa cycling and i had to go i say i had to i was invited to the u.s nationals in chattanooga and i got to hang out and that's actually i think where i met tim johnson and we we got to go drive the car around the circuit and all this stuff and we're just finishing up and this dude comes walking up the thing is billy crane right he's like hey and i'm like i know this guy well it turns out billy crane it was his go-kart. It was the very first go-kart I ever drove in my life. My dad and his dad were friends. Whoa. And he, Billy had a go-kart. I was 10 years old, and his dad let me drive his go-kart for the first time. And from the very first time I got in that thing, I was just really, really fast. And I was like, ooh, this could, this is kind of good. And next thing you know, I got to go. But literally the very first go-kart I ever drove was this kid's go-kart. So I, I kind of recognized him. I had not seen him since I was 10 years old. So okay? at this point, you're... you're- 33? Yeah. Probably 32. Okay. See him like, what? Well, he's married to Megan. And so we all became super fast friends again. And uh, they actually, I just had them out at our season finale uh, of the Rallycross Championship uh, last year in LA. Nice. You know, got to get them in there and show them around. And then it's, it's, so it's been so cool to have someone that's actually racing professionally that I actually know, like, I don't know a professional cyclist, but yeah, now I know yeah, Megan yeah. like, so it's like, <laughs> I have, it's hard to, it's, there's not the best media coverage of it, but sometimes, you know, they, you, you get to follow along. I remember I watched the tour of, uh, well, they just or they just did the nationals, right? I watched yep. that. I was screaming at the TV, mm-hmm. you know, like that was so cool. Like I know that person so well. That's rad. Yeah. The new age of bike racing is that you can get it on a computer screen on a tv screen which is great and so yeah whether you're a longtime fan of the champion or or spouse of the champion you can you can stay tuned to bike racing all right we now have questions coming in from instagram because i asked what should i be asking scott speed being a petrol head and a cyclist what is your stance on e-bikes on e-bikes you know I think uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, to be honest. I don't really know. <laughs> I, I know so much less about cycling and, and the whole culture. I, I'm really a student of everything right now. I'd, I'd hate to have a, an opinion on anything to do with cycling because I'm learning so much. Let's say I've learned enough so far to know how much I don't know about mm-hmm. not only the sport of cycling, but kind of the whole community. I, I'm very much a new fan of it. I mean, look, you're talking to the guy who literally got to ride with Floyd Landis two months before he won and then lost his tour right i i got to have the opinion uh, the opportunity to do that and i remember specifically racing f1 in france that year and i was like oh cool that's my guy i know that guy he's winning a race yeah you know <laughs> I, I like i didn't know anything about cycling look, he's no, on tv yeah i had no passion for it. i didn't know anything and now i look back at like the opportunities that i mean i lived over there i lived in europe for six years i could have been riding all of these rides no doubt i'm just like kicking myself so i'm, I'm very much a student of a sport that i have this huge passion for now well, I profess that if I could have been a professional hockey player, I wish I was a professional hockey player and I stumbled on cycling and I created a career out of that. You have been a car racer for the vast majority of your life and now getting into cycling. Do you have a secret sport that you wish you'd done? Um, uh, not really. I did golf for a while. You know, I did golf until I reached sort of my 
my peak of what I could do. Like I know I'm a scratch golfer and I know my personality is the opposite for golf, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Like I just the opposite for I loved it. I love the fact that I, it's like cycling. I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody. I can do it whenever I want. So I love the fact that if I want to spend eight hours on something a day, I can, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a team sport. So, you know, cycling is kind of the same way where if right now I'm having a blast because I don't need anybody. I can spend as many hours a week I want doing it and, and I can continue enjoying it. That's what it's all about. Got to enjoy the bike. Um, you are capping off this trip by going down to do the first annual Tim Johnson Wachusett Mountain Grand Fondo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You excited about that? You excited to Nervous. I'm go. more nervous about that because I, I didn't realize that there was any gravel. I mean, I should have guessed that there was gravel involved. When Tim's involved, there's probably gravel. Yeah, so there's some gravel involved. And I texted Tim this morning. I'm like, hey, buddy, uh, I, we brought road bikes with like uh, regular slick <laughs> 25 tires on there. That's going to be good, right? He says, no problem, mate. You're going to be good. No 28 would be better, but... You got this, buddy. He's, yeah. very, he's very encouraging. He like, is. <laughs> he is. I call him an ambassador in the best sense of the word. He's He is very encouraging. You're going to have a blast. You know how to handle your car and or bike off-road, so no problem there. Um, well, I'm about to wrap up. I'm going to let you guys go so you can catch a sweet sunset up there in Bar Harbor. Um, got anything else? Dude... Uh, no, it's been great. I really appreciate you uh, taking us out around here. It was great. Not every time you get a, every day you get a ride with such a stud on the bike. Oh man. Just Too going kind. up the hills, huffing and puffing. And he's just carrying on conversations like, so over here is Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> Here's some trees over here. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Over there is, uh, yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time. You guys are going to have a great time the rest of the trip. There's an off chance I'll see you on Saturday. Hope so. Here's to good weather. Cheers. Thanks for taking the time.